Gaming and BS episode 237, being recorded April 7th, 2019. Welcome to Gaming and BS, the tabletop RPG podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show, folks. Welcome back. Glad everybody's on board. Sean, how the hell are you, man? I'm doing just fantastic, Brett. How are you? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. So I guess we don't, um, he's been on the show plenty of times, we don't have to like tease this or anything, but Alex Kammer from uh, Gamehole Con is with us today. Hello, Alex. Hey, boys. Thanks for having me back. Uh, yeah, I, I plan to get my uh, my uh, Gaming and BS 10th uh, uh, appearance jacket shortly, I'm sure. <laughs> I, I'm sure it'd be some sort of uh, corduroy number. Uh, looking forward to wearing it in the holidays, so thank you. You're welcome. It is it's quite dandy. It's very the the polka dots really set off your eyes. It'll be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> polka dots and corduroy. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so while we've got Alex here, obviously we we've got other stuff to talk about later on. But when we get into the announcements here, so Alex, what's new at Gamehole Con for this year for 2019? What do we got cooking? Well, you know the usual. We're it's just such a machine now. You know it's a year long cycle, and we're just in. A, you know you could talk to me at any point, and you're in a certain point along that cycle. And, and right now, we're generating all the cool new swag for next year or next not next year now uh, next this fall. So that means the new plushie is in active production in terms of uh, prototypes and all that kind of stuff. Have you said what the new plushie is? Have you? I haven't. That? I haven't. But I'll tell you guys right now. It's a displacer beast. Oh. <laughs> Oh, awesome. Oh, that's Nobody cool. else knows. We got the exclusive download. You do. You do. You gots it. And uh, we're also, you know, we always give um, a custom D6 away every year uh, with uh, that year's logo. Um, this year we're doing also in addition, uh, we're producing a full set of some really sweet dice um, with GHC logos on them. That if so, if people are so inclined, they can buy. And we're, you know, as you know, we sell all that stuff for just barely over what it costs us to produce it because we don't, we're not too interested in making money on any of this stuff, um, just to have some fun stuff. So we got a new dice set that we're actively working on. I've been screwing around with that for the last couple of days, getting the right logo size. It's kind of hard to get, you know, like the D12 and the D8, a, a logo to fit each one of those weird little faces. Um, so that's been taking a little time. Um, and then beyond that, uh, some, you know, the AL Hall swag, we try to give those DMs, they work so hard, we try to come up with some new swag piece, uh, working on a kind of a cool D&D hat, a, a trucker hat kind of thing with like a cool patch on it. And nice. Getting some prototypes, I'm not sure if that's going to be the final product or not, but we're looking at some different products, we'll see. And then, of course, on the calendar, we're approaching April 15, which is our actually sort of the launch, the official start of the GHC yearly calendar. And that is when um, everyone can start submitting games. And that's a great time for us because uh, it's just, it's kind of, it's just, it's a magical experience when you run a show, as you know, Brett. When you, uh, <laughs> yeah, you open up your interface and you see, holy crap, look at the stuff that people put in. You know, because you don't have any warning what's coming or how much or what or what it's going to look like. You see all this great stuff like, man, this is great. Because you don't know. You know, you, have, you don't have any control over that. People always think, why don't you guys run more X? You know, like... <laughs> We don't, we, you know, we're, we're, the, we're just the vehicle. We don't, we don't actually run games. You know, we set up the, the milieu, we set up the platform, the, the stage for you all to run games. And uh, anyway, so it's cool to see that, that stage and that playbill get filled out with all kinds of awesome games. And that starts on uh, April 15th. So excited cool. to see that. Yeah. Awesome. So folks out there who are going to come to GameOcon, this, it is uh, October 31st and Halloween is when it starts this year. And um, if you're going to run games under the Gaming and BS banner, April 15th, you guys can get in there and start loading up the system. So, yeah, Alex, it is, it's is—it's interesting. Even in my little bitty Evercom, which is obviously a much smaller subset, but it's still really cool. You'll have people like, oh, I'm going to run this. I'm going to do that. And you sit there and you just see this wave of stuff that shows up. You're like, I don't even know who these people are. This is amazing. They're going to run this game. They're going to run that game. It is, it is really cool to see all the, the really neat stuff and the passion that people put into their descriptions and everything that they want to do at your event. So it's really, really neat. That's awesome. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. So that's, uh, you know, in a nutshell, uh, where things stand. I'm uh, um, in about a month or so, I fly out to Seattle and to meet with all my Wizards friends to talk about all the kind of stuff that they want to do at the show. We're starting to put the streaming uh, uh, schedule together. Um, you know, getting a handle on guests. We have most of the guests. If you go to the page, we have, you know, 90% of the guests are in. There are probably a f- you know, few more and some probably some pretty big names will be added late as usual. Um, those folks like to wait to the last moment based on, you know, their complicated schedules. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, 
Yeah, it's all it's all coming together, man. We're pretty systematized now. Everyone knows what they're doing and when they're doing it, and uh, so it's a little bit of less a little less desperate than it was a few <laughs> years ago. You know, we were like, holy shit, we, how are we going to pull this all together? Now it's all right. All right, here, it's this time of year. This is what we should be doing. And well, not only have you guys grown, but you've, you've cha- you changed venues, right? So in the middle of that growth, you also had to hop venues. So it's <clears throat> figuring out how you're going to deal with like the hotel space, then go from that to the convention center. Growth, growth, growth. And well, yeah, new venue, new this, new that. Oh, shit, that didn't work. The band, bad idea. This terrible idea. <laughs> that, oh, my God, what are we doing there? So, uh, yeah, no, it's it's still my favorite convention, honestly. Yeah, I appreciate it's, it's awesome. That. It's really I awesome. appreciate that. The new hotel that's coming online and it's almost built is going to be a big help. And then, of course, I don't know if you heard the – um, our new governor made a big announcement about the expansion of the whole campus there, um, adding on not only 200,000 square feet to the Alliant Energy Center, um, but also redeveloping that whole block, which is desperately needed. And that's going to be great for everyone, uh, especially uh, our attendees, because they're going to have great new stuff. And that means, you know, some new restaurants and more hotels and stuff like that. So over the next few years, we should see some uh, nice, nice uh, development of that quarter, which is, you know, sorely needed. Cool. Yeah. Sean, you got any questions for Alex on that? No, man. I got I got one last one. Now, Alex, because you guys, it's got to be Halloween because the way schedules align in the planets and, and whatnot. Is there anything kind of crazy cool that you have for Halloween or is that still in the works? If, you don't, if you're not ready, don't spill, but I'm just curious. My, no, kid, I, my kids are begging me to ask, so I'm asking. Totally. I'm totally ready. I'm actually – this is something I need to get in front of and we're working on it. We're actually producing a special poster that's going to go out. Um, you know, Dane County and wider. And uh, we're doing a, a, a cool ass trick or treat that night. Uh, I can't remember the hours. I think it's like five thirty or seven thirty or something like that. And it's going to be so free admission to any families uh, who want to come with their kids and trick or treat. And the trick or treat is going to be pretty mind blowing. because what it's going to have is like 70 different spots on a map that they can come and trick or treat, including like, not only every spot in the dealer hall, but places like the board game library. True Dungeon's going to do this mind blowing little thing where kids can come into and trick or treat. And, you know, we got to keep that kind of dialed back so it's not too like this big red dragon swooping out at him or anything like that, you know. But, but it's going to be a, a spectacular theatrical D&D where people can come with their kids and be in a safe place. And it's free. There's free parking and free admission uh, for that night for families. Um, so, uh, in addition, of course, Everyone's, I'm sure, will have much more dress-up cosplay kind of stuff going on that night because of being Halloween. Um, all the game hall staff will certainly be in costume, and um, the I've been the, the talk on you know the, the the various Facebook pages and so on about the show. Lots of Halloween-themed games are uh, going to be played that night. So heavy horror themes and Cthulhu themes and spooky stuff, and so it should be really fun. I don't know. This is going to be really interesting to see how it all goes. Um, but I'm excited about it. My kids are geek beyond imagination. I mean, they're, they're literally like counting down the days. I'm like, hey guys, it's April. Um, <laughs> Give me a break, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, it should be fun. And I'm uh, I'm hoping that uh, you know, city, the uh, Department of Tourism is behind it. There, they think it's cool. So that, you know, we're going to have some pretty good advertising uh, about it uh, because I want lots of kids to come and come in and trick or treat have a great trick-or-treat experience see what's going on just get exposed to gaming a little bit and they say hey mom what are those guys doing over there um and you know go through the dealer hall and see oh, that'll be great for the dealers they get to have lots of exposure um so yeah that's that's in a nutshell what's the what's going to be special and different about uh, third the thursday of the show this year so we might see you and the guys dressed in something other than the haggard con runner uh, uh, costume that you usually run. I <laughs> yeah, know the, that look. I know that look. I wear the, it every January. The, the gaunt orange, mm-hmm. as we call it. Yeah, no, we'll have. Yeah, that night we'll have some uh, stuff on. Uh, you might see a high high likelihood of seeing Pickle Rick as director that night. That's awesome. That's <laughs> All right, Sean, what else do we got for announcements? Did, we, right. did you pick a, a die winner? We did, man. It's going to be, hold on. All right, we did get a winner for the random. So this is hilarious. So, um, Alex, every month we draw a name because they get a free set of awesome dice if they've signed up to our email list. They're automatically entered to win. So this is like month three, I think, or four. Mm-hmm. So I get the, I download the list. I go to a random number generator online, number seventy-five. I go down the list. Brett Blazinski. 
No kidding. I'm like, bullshit uh, on that. Bullshit. Click. My name's that. in there eight times. I am desperately trying to win. I'm like, so it wasn't, it was not Brett. It was John Hammersley was wow. the lucky winner for the, the month of March. So, John, I'll reach out to you via email to make sure I can pass that along to the folks at awesomedice.com and you will get a free set of dice sent to you. For those of you that did not win, there is still time. So be sure to head over to Gaming and BS, enter your email into our website. You'll be automatically entered to win a set of dice. And if you'd like to support awesomedice.com, just head to the website, uh, place an order for 10 bucks or more, use promo code GAMINGBS, and then you get 15% off your order. So there you go. Sean, how is the lymph, leukemia lymphoma society stuff doing? You yeah, got that very, cooking? very, very well. So we did. I did get a, a couple folks from the audience that decided to help out. Uh, Mark Sock, thank you very much, buddy. Appreciate it. Um, and if, if folks are spreading the word, so uh, doing doing well. I've got a lot of I got a lot of more ground to cover in the next. We're in week three of a 10 week campaign. So thanks for everybody that's helped in any way that you can even just spread the word. So thank you very much. Um, well, speaking of Mark Tosaka, he sent us um, a number of copies yeah. of his white box Eastern adventures book. Mark, that crazy nut. He, he's, he's well, uh, I mean, our, our listeners are some incredibly generous people and Mark is just an example of that. He created a really cool thing. We talked about last episode and he hit Sean with a bunch of, a uh, bunch of copies. So thank you very much, Mark. Yeah, like 10, 12, 15, something like that. It's uh, so Mark said we can do with them what we please. So I don't know. I don't know what we're going to have to do. I don't know if we just throw that into a uh, drawing every month and people get a free copy of White Box Eastern Adventures. Yeah, we'll figure um, something out. Yeah. 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 That's it, I think, for all the announcements. Cool. Let's go to Random Encounters and uh, keep moving. Where is it here? I think I've. You think I've done this before. All right. Random Encounter, where we field emails, voicemails, and comments from social media. We've got a voicemail from DM Kojo, not to let us down. He comes back through. So here's DM Kojo on, I think he's commenting on Total Party Kill from the last episode. BSers, it's Kojo. TPK, one of my favorite subjects. Great episode. Hey, I don't ever set up to try to get a TPK on my players, but, you know, if it happens, it happens. I don't ever fudge dice to try to prevent it from happening, regardless. In fact, I can't think of a game that I haven't gotten a TPK in with the exception of Fantasy Flight Star Wars, and that those characters are pretty tough to kill off, so... uh, but I always try to leave the players a way out so that, you know, if they get a TPK because they made bad choices, then, you know, that's the way it goes. But I never put them in situations where they can't escape or they can't run away or figure out, you know, what they need to do to avoid a TPK. I, I just don't think that's, that's fair. It's not adversarial on my part. I don't try to get TPKs. I try to create challenging adventures. And I don't believe in game balance, so you're going to run into stuff that you can't defeat and you have to run away or defeat in some other manner besides just fighting. So, anyways, that's my thoughts on, on TPKs. Uh, I do enjoy them. I think that they're they're fun from a narrative perspective. If everybody goes down in a blaze of glory, that's awesome. But, uh, you know, I don't, uh, I don't try to set it up that way. So, just my thoughts. Thanks, guys. Take it easy. Yeah, I I don't set it up that way either. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> it just happens. <laughs> it just happens that way. Alex, have you had a TPK at the game hall? Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I, I heard the sigh of, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, you got to keep in mind, guys, that we've been playing together for so long at such volume. I I, I continue to be amazed by how little people actually play, um, and um, to, to some extent, yeah, because it's just as it's life is busy and it's hard to get it schedules to coordinate. It's hard to find fellow gamers and all that kind of stuff. And I continue to uh, thank my lucky stars for such a stable um, game group amongst such good friends and uh, so on that we can play once a week for now coming on twenty years. Uh, and as a result, we have played a shitload of of games and campaigns, and uh, some you know ter- turn turn left, you know, and uh, that's the way it goes. I as a as when I run. I, I, I try to avoid 
a uh, TPK. I try to set the um, my games up to be very challenging but survivable, um, but I'm not going to fudge things to keep people from either bad rolls happen you know that just happens a side you know one side can just roll poorly um or uh uh but I, you know so i don't try to i don't try to uh, keep things artificially from a tpk but i try to set it up that they're you know brought to the brink uh, but yet survive that's to me that is the height of the gaming experience uh that the the player can walk away thinking wow that was fucking close man and really exciting but we we pulled through and you know i had to drag two people out of there um, but we did it you know that's to me is the the ultimate that's the goal uh that's the experience that i want to deliver uh, so it's been several years since it's been like a true like blaze out <laughs> like let's oh start over um and, and that's usually when i've I, you know i that's quite frankly it was years ago and i was not as good as at this as i am now well, I'll so. tell you, I've, I've had this described to me before, and I've, I, I can't remember if it was John Wick or somebody <clears throat> called it the, the John McClane thing, right? You want to be a diehard. You want to just be down, beaten, bloody, but you yep. won. Yep. You, you want to feel like skin in my teeth, just fingernails busted off. I pulled this off. Yep. So, But then again, sometimes players make incredibly stupid, stupid decisions, and hey, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, yeah. Although, you know, there's a lot of people say this, and there's some famous ones out there who say, you know, I don't kill players, players kill players. Well, you've set up essentially an impossible scenario um, where you're, 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 you know, players don't kill players. Well, I'm just not going to go on the adventure then. I'm going to sit here, I'm going to open up a craft shop instead, uh, and I'm not going to go into the, you know, into the grinder that you have set up over there. Now, have I won? Have Do I have survive you know i've I've passed your test i mean that's really that's that's sort of nonsensical i think and i think we we all know who i'm talking about yes Um, (laughs) the 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 true uh railroad to a tpk approach yeah that's dumb i just think that's i I don't know people still sign up for that stuff and i have no idea why but you know i guess different strokes cool sean you want to read the next one man sure man mad of house v comments on tpk first thanks for the plug for critical core so for those of, the, of you that don't know what Critical Core is, that was a Kickstarter um, about the Critical Core game that was really catered to, to towards folks, um, kids with autism or on the spectrum. Mm. Um, did you see that Kickstarter? I did. That looks yeah. really cool. Yeah. So he's a, he continues, my oldest son was has autism, so I supported it. I play some Hero Kids RPG with him and my eight-year-old and even the three-year-old but it will be good to have a game that focuses on autism help. Very cool. Good articles on zones. I hope you post the follow-up so I can read them. That helped put it in a way I haven't quite heard articulated yet. On TPKs, I say it massively depends. For one-shots, I really don't care as a game master or a player. In a campaign, I tend to not like them on either side of the screen. As a GM, I usually... I am usually prepared several sessions ahead, so a TPK wastes several hours of labor agreed i think that's the biggest pain like prepare everything and then everybody's dead awesome uh might be a dumb reason but my time is important to me and when i wasted it it annoys me the one i mentioned with a tpk on a save or die had the entire following book prepped on map tools probably 15 plus hours of work i'm pretty good at getting players to ride the rails but i don't force them to be on the rails last ap i ran the player's uh, skipped, uh, I ran the players, skipped nearly an entire book because they deduced some info early and combined it with foreshadowing from several months earlier. I usually prefer to run pre-printed campaigns with my own spin that I've gotten quite good at over the last decade. Prior to that, I only ran homebrew. However, I don't roll behind a screen and actually try and use some, uh, some form of player-facing dice if possible within the system, even if not inherent to the rules. Some systems like Genesis and Fate can easily be all player-facing, even though not inherent to the rules. I find player-facing dice help a lot with character death. I haven't had a TPK using the method, but players seem like they handle it better when they kill themselves, and it's not me. As a player, the groups I play with tend to be pretty big into backstory, character tie-ins, and personal character stories. Sometimes a few deaths can destroy an interesting story arc that's going on. The TPK obviously ruins all of those. It also depends on how the TPK happens. If it's based on roles, such as save versus die, I think that's a bad way to end a campaign. If the players have made mistakes or just had a stream of bad luck, it's still annoying, but that's how it rolls sometimes. However, the end game, hey, we are sacrificing ourselves for the greater good, doesn't bother me. However, it's anticlimactic 
if not at some kind of endpoint, in my opinion. I could, however, see a situation arising as well where the campaign has lost steam or people are moving or whatever, and an epic sacrifice may be the most satisfying conclusion. I have never been in this situation, but I could see how it could happen. So all in all, I'd say I'm against TPKs and campaigns unless it's best for the story. However, I've never been one to stop them from happening either. However, I've had GMs pull punches to avoid them, sometimes obviously. It's a different narrative style. I get why you'd want to do that as a game master. I think what he's mentioning is I know I understand why you would want to pull it, push or pull punches. No, absolutely. Alex, Sean, I talked about this before. Have you had, have the guys or anybody you've gamed with done the whole, we we will sacrifice ourselves for the greater good, that, that type of TPK where like, look, we all jump on the grenade type of thing. Have you, have you run into that? Hmm. So to, um, to save other party members or to fulfill the the, narr- the narrative goal of the story? Mostly the latter. The mostly the latter. I've got a buddy of mine in my my home group, and uh, Zave has a tendency. That is one of the... He, he, will, he will offer up his character's life at any given moment to save almost anything. I'm wondering if that's uh, if you've run into that type of thing. Usually to save narratively, say, hey, we're going to... We'll save the role from Tiamat by all of us jumping in the portal type of thing. That's interesting. I don't think we've ever had that scenario where it's been set up that made that uh, an option. You know where that uh, that the the the, the dungeon master set it up that the only way to solve this is the uh, the Gordian knot of life or death with, with from the player player standpoint that you have to basically sacrifice yourselves to say no I don't think that I've never encountered that I mean there's certainly other uh, characters have you know t- jumped in and uh, taken one for the team um, and sacrificed themselves especially proper role-playing depending how their character's built that that's what they would do under those circumstances not like your friend who does that all the time that doesn't make sense unless he plays the same kind of character every time oh he does okay, <laughs> he absolutely well, does that, that's okay. his thing he loves he all loves right. that he loves okay. that okay yeah um so yeah i guess so sort of sort of but not really i haven't i haven't i don't think we've ever had a scenario set up like that where uh that was even an option so interesting cool all right sean you ready i'll do the next one Go for it, man. All right. Sky Slayton on TPKs. Greetings, podcast duo. <laughs> Sicko, it feels good, man. I really should stop with these, but I'm not going to. Um, I've, I've start, uh, to start, I've only run 5e so far, so this all is based around that system. I think you covered this topic well in your episode. As long as the players know a TPK could happen, you wouldn't be fudging much to save them. And it makes sense. It'll be okay. Even if it's stupid, yeah, I guess we shouldn't have pulled that lever. Um, they're probably going to be less upset about it. I think in general, it's also easier for players to deal with TPKs at two sections. At lower level, they haven't had much time with a PC, and at high level, close to the end game, TPKs, since it's kind of a closure. Where I see more players are going to be upset is that middle area where they've <laughs> where they played the PC long enough to be invested, and there's a decent amount of story left that they look forward to playing through. Um, while I haven't had a TPK yet, I don't know if it would be the end of those PCs. Well, it depends on the challenge. I can think of very few situations where everyone dies is the only possible solution. I think that even in scenarios like I pull the lever, the room fills with water, and we can't get out, fade to black. <coughs> Excuse me. You can uh, make the case that the PC survived if at great cost. I think as a GM, you know, quote unquote, everything. So I wouldn't the. Oh, good Lord. What BBEG? What does that stand for, Sean? Big bad in game. Big bad evil guy. Big bad evil guy. Thank you. Good lord, didn't know that acronym. The big bad evil guy had uh, have enchanted that flooding room trap to keep creatures alive but unconscious. So the evil wizard would say, "Let's <clears throat> let's see what we caught in in the flood room. A Mortimer, perhaps some tasty morsels or rare organs to be harvested. They're always best fresh, I think." Um, example: A party is about to get into part two of, of our season finale, and they just had three back to back fights. One almost a TPK, everyone was at sub five hit points. This next fight will be crazy. You have six level fours versus Pirate Captain in a mech suit, CR seven ish legendary actions. Pirate Captain is out of mech suit spellcaster, um, CR six ish legendary and lair actions. Her first mate and some elite units. Good lord, this is getting ugly. And, uh, and a bunch of mooks who have one hit point but still hit like CR three pirates. On top of that, there's a gun emplacement. Good lord, <laughs> we're making zones of the battle, uh, zones of the battlefield damaging. Um, oh, and more pirate mooks will come out of the ship and help everyone before rounds. And while the new cryopods with the children they're trying to rescue, including their 12 year old orphan NPC Dodger, will be loaded onto the pirate ship. They will probably get wrecked. So I'll tell them where they <clears throat> where they get, and that this looks like they have a very slim chance of success and a very large chance of death. They don't have to fight, but knowing them, they will. I'm not going to 
creatively creatively solve the situation for them, though. If they TPK, guess who just got <clears throat> stripped of all their stuff and are on their way to be sold into the fighting pits of Draknora? I think it makes sense that a group of pirates who also run slaves would take them, patch them up, and sell them off. Even in the weirdest situations, I think you can puzzle out a reason to have the K and TPK mean knockout instead. It doesn't depend on the tone. It, excuse me. It does depend on the tone and the expectations you set in the beginning. But we are telling the story of the one group who did the thing, not the thousands of adventurers who all drank the potion that turned out to be poison. Anywho, cheers, Sky. Interesting. Interesting, interesting. All right. Interesting indeed. Yes, thank you, Sky. Are we ready for the main topic? I think we're good. Yeah, let's get into the let's main dive. topic. Let's dive into this thing. Ah, dive. All you right. Ready? You ready, Sean? I'm ready. All right. So a while back, Sean and I discussed waterborne adventures. I think Sean had come up with this idea. We talked a little bit about ships, pirates, storms, dragon turtles, all sorts of stuff back in episode 219. Um, however, I had I had not had a lot of experience with it. Sean had minimal. We had a lot of um, players write in on with some incredible a- ideas and advice and so forth. And then we're like, oh, it looks like Wizards of the Coast is doing this uh, crazy salt marsh thing reborn. And then lo and behold, our buddy Alex Kammer is doing this Kickstarter thing which also has to do with Waterborne Adventures. We're like, you know, we have a better chance of getting Alex on the show than somebody from Wizards, so let's call Alex. <laughs> yeah, Alex, you're our silver medal. We oh, love you. Funny. Thank you. Well, hey, I'm, I'm happy to be Plan B. Um, All right. So, Alex, before we get too far into Waterborne Adventures, crafting and so forth and, and whatnot, what is the name of your uh, – what's the name of the adventure that you're putting together here? Yeah, the book that is uh, coming out, the Kickstarter uh, launches on April 30th uh, through Frog God Games, is called Sea King's Malice. Um, it is a full hardbound uh, D&D adventure uh, that will take – Y'all from one level one through ten, and uh, crosses several mediums uh, in terms of uh, where the PCs go, and a significant portion of it is on or in the water. Um, and so you reference the Salt Marsh book coming out. So I started this thing. I started writing this book back last February, so February of eighteen, um, and I started writing it, and I've been you know worked on it, you know here and there, you know full time job all the other stuff, Game World Con, writing AL modules in between, wrote the Trillium book that came out last year. So I kind of was, you know, bringing this thing along. And I was about three quarters of the way done when in my inbox in October crops up the salt marsh playtest materials. And I thought, well, looky here. Isn't that interesting? You sons of bitches. No, it's gr- no? the opposite. It's oh, so okay. great. Are you kidding me? So the, the Wizards is going, you know, with my whole book is about the Sahagan, essentially. And, uh, you know, salt marsh is bringing back the the focus. Not they're not, they're not as waterborne as my adventure is, but they're dealing with coastal things. Actually, some of the other parts of the book will. The, the salt marsh stuff is not, of course, that's really sort of just shoreline mostly um but it brings all those aquan creatures back into our into the into the focus of the D world you know anytime a, a wizard's uh, book hits that's what everyone looks at you know it's the top of conversation dm's guild scrambles to uh to print uh to, to produce ancillary products and so here comes crammer's book at the same time you know kickstarting it couldn't couldn't have worked out better uh so i'm, I'm thrilled quite frankly um so my book is um about about the pcs are in a town this is set in the lost land setting which is you know pretty much classic medieval so it could be uh, the forgotten realms it could be it could even be Greyhawk. It could be any, it could be ported to any setting, but it's the Frog God proprietary setting is Lost Lands, which is a Kickstarter that just wrapped up very successfully. Um, they've been in there for 20 years. They're, you know, gosh, I think literally hundreds of material products have been placed in this setting. Anyway, uh, they started, you're starting this little, a small seaport. Uh, you're hired to um, find, to join a search and rescue mission for a missing ship and a missing sea captain. Um, and, all, you, you know, of course, through it, almost everything I write is an investigation. I've, I've realized that. That's kind of the thing I like to write, um, a mystery investigation. And uh, so you follow clues. You're, you basically start on the water for the first third of the book um, on a ship. Uh, crossed and surviving 
hopefully lots of the hazards, same kind of things you just mentioned. We can talk about that to some extent and uh, if you want. Um, and then you uh, come to, I guess I can say this without being too spoilerific. Um, there is also a, a, a significant portion of the book on a uncharted tropical island uh, with all kinds of weird stuff going on, new monsters, strangeness happening. And the final third of the book, uh, if you're so lucky, takes you under the waves into the depths to confront the Sea King himself in his vast Sahagan city um, in, the, in a trench uh, in the middle of the ocean. Um, so it's uh, lots of, lots of uh, different places for the characters to play, to succeed, and to die. And uh, so it's going to be – I've had a, a tremendous joyful time putting this thing together, um, and it's been nice to be able to take my time with it, have play test it thoroughly, get lots of eyes on it in the industry to help me um, – you know, uh, make suggestions here and there, and I'm just delighted with the end product. It's uh, it's in it's in final editing now, and it's going to start layout soon. And so the book's written, the art I've shared some of the art with you guys. Oh my god, that's awesome looking stuff, dude. That's oh, amazing. Thank art. Thank you, thank you. I'm this really next level stuff. I mean, this is going to be the deal. Let, 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 let me put it this way: when I said yes to this, I said, guys, I'll do this. But this book has to be at least of good or better quality than any Wizards book that's out there. So it sits on the shelf. The binding is better. The cover is better. The paper is better. The art is as good or better. The layout, you know, everything has to be that level. I'm not, you know, and they are totally down with it. Their books have got, Frog God have gotten so good anyway. Mm -hmm. um, yes, they have. So, you know, so we're working with some other pretty exciting things I can't announce quite yet, but there's some other people who are um, entities out there who, let's say, they work with wizards on some of the releases and they may be joining, likely going to be joining our Kickstarter at certain reward levels to produce different things in it. Um, so I'm super excited about this. Uh, you know, I, the, 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 it's come together so nicely uh, and, uh, you know, and the playtesting has been great. I've been playing at shows. I have, I'm going out to uh, Colorado Springs here for CoboCon at the end of the month. Um, and for some more playtesting, I've been playing, running it right now about halfway through with the game hole. The guys have been really give, giving great feedback and having a lot of fun. So uh, yeah, it's going real well. Very so cool. I have a question. Yeah. Go for it. So, Alex, are there going to be ninjas in this? <laughs> oh, Sean. Uh, just waiting in the weeds, aren't you? Is this, this going to be a ninja pirate, maybe? Maybe no, ninja pirate dinosaur? Yes, <laughs> ninja pirate dinosaur. I want waterborne ninja pirate dinosaurs. Oh, That's what I'm looking oh, for. So I will just... not, I promise, I will not go to episode 51 <laughs> and pull that out at 22 minutes. Or no, I think it was four, 40 minutes and some. Uh, you, you, you can totally do that because this book is true to that. You will not find any of those things in this book. Oh. Yeah. So before, <laughs> uh, let me ask you a more legitimate question. So did you draw any anything from the Sea Devils, that Monster Sharkana book, the second ed D&D? It was geez, all. Uh, that I have been carrying uh, Skip's book with me everywhere I go for the last year. All right. That's what I need to hear. I figure I'm like, there's no way with his collection that he has not been devour you've been sleeping with that under your pillow i figured yeah and so as part of this is one of the stretch goals these guys asked me to write a sahag and ecology book i'm like man it's it's been done and done really well but there's some so i'm i'm doing it uh, but i'm doing i'm taking in different directions skip did a great job um and uh, so let's do some props first of all steve marsh thank you very much for inventing the sahag in the first place i'll see you in texas i'll say hello and thank you in person for that uh Skip for doing such a great job with this book and all the other people. Bruce Cordell did a great book too and as part of that same series uh, developing uh, these tremendously interesting creatures. They're um, they're cruel. They're, 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 they're uh, single-minded in their thinking. Every, they see every other life form as a food source. Um, but they're highly organized uh, and highly structured. They have a caste society um, that's basically founded on the principle of might makes right. So the strong rule and the weak serve. Uh, so I have done a lot of stuff. I'm writing a bunch of stuff about their systems of governance uh, and their religion, you know, the cult of the shark god. And that's a really heavy part of my book, uh, the sort of religious fanaticism that has taken over this these the the Sahagan and why they're doing what they're doing, which is somewhat unlike some of their core traits, which is they usually 
well, never do they leave, uh, do they take live prisoners. They just don't believe in it. Um, except for my book, and there's a specific reason why they're doing so, and it's really creepy and really weird, and uh, I think everyone's going to enjoy it. Um, so, yes, The Sea Devils has been tremendous, and I'm trying to write a basically like a uh, volume two of it. Very cool. Yeah. So one of the things that when Sean and I talked about this topic initially, neither he nor I had a lot of really good experiences with waterborne adventures, either you know on a pirate ship or any kind of waterborne, or, especially underwater adventures. They were always kind of an aside or this really annoying fucked up thing that the game master and we were, uh, okay, we're underwater, how these rules work. What, I guess, question for you is what draws you to waterborne? I mean, just if, even if we put your book aside... To me, I'm hearing you say you've got, if not a passion, or at least a desire to for waterborne, underwater, on water type adventures. Is there? Have you had really good experiences with them in the past? Um, you know, mixed. I think like everyone else, they, because they're just like anything else can be poorly done. Um, <laughs> you know, the, so the the uh, uh, I, I I took it on actually this as more of a challenge because I, it forced me to really rethink uh, how wh- how they go, uh, how I. First of all, how to write something like that, how how to create interesting scenarios for the players to be extremely challenged, but ultimately hopefully succeed with really skillful play. Um, and so that's been interesting. So like you, your example of a storm, uh, I think that's what, an opportunity that's missed uh, with with DMs often because it takes some thought, I think, and some preparation. So you're imagining a storm, a medieval best vessel like a schooner or a clipper or something like that. So two or three masts, um, three decks. And it's rolling through the ocean with, you know, going up big rollers and falling down mountains of water, basically. So everything that's not nailed, nailed down is, is pitching around. Um, you know, all the sail has been uh, furled and tied down. And you, you, the boat in this in extremely uh, 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 vulnerable state is attacked by marrow, let's say. So how the hell do you fight off aquan creatures that are essentially in their native environment with breakers rolling over the top of the ship uh, and you are there trying to cast magic missile, right? I mean, so I, I had to think through those mechanics because we don't really have any. There's not really any in any game system that's really, at least as far as I know, that um, that are there's some one-off stuff that is, I guess, but not in the any of the core sets for any of the D&D stuff anyway. It's yeah, really a lot nice. of the fantasy D&D type things when it came to, I remember my first edition, even second edition books, I think a little bit in third and in Pathfinder and whatnot, but you can be, how do spells work underwater? I remember that was a thing in the first edition DMG, like, hey, this spell Fireball didn't work or did, or this worked a certain way. Sure. But it was a very finite list, and that was one of the kind of the, the pieces that, when you get the when you get nature in all of its fury and there's this craziness and then natural creatures in their element, you know how do you deal with somebody who goes well fuck it I'll just do a wall of fire you know fireball and water breathing and it, does the magic mess with the coolness of the natural impacts? Well, it can, and so with, and then, well, that's a that's a slightly different subject when you talk about underwater. But and, but in, for I can answer this in five e they've made it pretty simple. Mm-hmm. If you have a swim speed, you can do pretty much anything. You can do all your things. Um, so okay. yeah, you can, you, it just works. I've and, not been, I've not done any waterborne much of anything in 5e. So sure. Sure. So for the, the, uh, back to the, when I was talking about, you know, the picking the heaving deck and, you know, massive breakers rolling over it and, um, you know, wind lashing and so on. So that this is, uh, you know, I, I created, uh, you know, set some circumstances of, you know, concentration checks that to do everything and um, uh, different dexterity or acrobatic checks to even move. And if not, you you get swept to the rail and then you have a chance to make a save, a strength save to catch the rail before you're swept over and the, deli- the hungry sharks below are looking forward to your deliciousness um, and so on. So I set up all this kind of stuff and I think, and then I played it with my guys and they said, Jesus, that's hard. And I said, well, it should be, it should be really hard. I mean, what do you think? You're on a deck that's that's often at 45 degrees, plunging down a mountain of water while you're being hosed, uh, you know, with a fire hose and gale force winds. I mean, yeah, it should. You shouldn't just be able to run up and skewer the monster. This is going to be really hard. You've got to be extraordinary uh, in to accomplish that, and also play well and think your way through that about how you're actually going to accomplish those things. So, uh, I so that to me, the challenge of actually really thinking about those environments and what that would be like. Uh, was fun for me, and uh, I hope it translates into the book. So to make the to make the environments more realistic, um, instead of just relying on it's really hard or it's very windy or it's very wet, it sounds like you've got mechanical components, and it feels like Sean and I have talked about this a bit on other episodes when you're trying to. <clears throat> 
enforce an effect, especially of nature, that type of thing, having those mechanics, especially custom ones for exactly what you're talking about, I think would be super helpful just to get the players really to understand how bad and how hard this really is. So I'm glad that it's tough because otherwise you'd be like, yeah, 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 blah, 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 you know, fluff, fluff, fluff. I run across the thing and stab it in the face, Mm -hmm. you know, but you're actually making it difficult via mechanics to enforce that fact. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I appreciate that. I'm trying. So I think it's, uh, and it's, it's uh, being borne out in the play test stuff. I think everyone has been, uh, has been, has really enjoyed it. And they come off off it exactly the experience I want. Like shit, that was harrowing, (laughs) but we survived. Exactly. Perfect. That's all goals meant. Were there certain tropes that you wanted to, I guess, when you when you were crafting this, one of the things that I, Sean and I talked about last and that kind of troubles me is if I'm like, okay, it's got to be, you're on a boat, there'll, there'll be pirates and it'll be, you know, water dragon. I feel like I'm, like I'm stuck to a certain trope or a concept that I just can't get away from. Were you... I guess because of the alienness of the, of the of the environment compared to a land or a dungeon or a mountain or something for whatever reason I'm I'm not a big water guy. So when you were when you were approaching this did you look at the saying <clears throat> I don't want I, I don't want pirates I want to do this this thing from the land but twist it so it's on the water or I guess how did you did you embrace the tropes did you try to flip them on their heads what was your what was your whole approach to that Yeah I tried yeah I didn't want to do you know straight down the line stuff uh first of all as far as pirates go you know my feelings are well well documented on the subject Sean's ready to hit <laughs> hit play um the the uh uh there, and there's great pirate stuff out there you know those are there's some really good pirate adventures out there and I you know don't need to sort of half ass that on on my end so there you know spoiler alert, no pirates in Sea King's Malice um but uh, there are some uh, lots of other things that happen, and I'm trying to. So there are some, you know, creatures that you, I guess, could maybe expect to a certain extent. But I've tried to make those encounters very different than they normally that I've at least ever seen them go. Um, so yeah, you know, that's always the challenge, man. You know, you're trying to write something, especially a big book that's, you know, a big, cool-looking hardbound that's going to sit in, in in game store shelves, you know, across the country. Uh, I don't want someone to pick it up and say, "Wow, this is exactly vanilla um, adventure uh, ship adventure." This is everything I've always done before. No, so I'm trying to, I tried to come up with uh, unique, hopefully, um, twists on all these kinds of things, and uh, you know. Until it comes out, and I guess someone can point out, "Hey, this was done by Pathfinder 15 years ago." I'm like, oh shoot! Well, son well, of a bitch! Damn it! But uh, <laughs> I hope not. Anyway, and I don't think so. I don't think so. I think so. I, I've yeah. Uh, to to to, uh, to to my best answer is, I sure as hell tried. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best we can do. Yeah. Yeah. So the other the other piece you mentioned was the underwater aspects of it, and mm. one of the pieces that so. I love the idea. I love that idea, right? So you're, you're on the deck of the ship. You got these huge rolling waves. Got mechanics to to work with this stuff. We've got things kind of coming at me differently. But when it comes to like going from there underwater, because <clears throat> when I have played waterborne adventures before, my previous high school and college and and whatever, people are like, oh fuck, I can't swim. I mean, like you say, five E is a little bit different. But there's 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 the risk of drowning or the you oh, know yeah. you're, you're shipwrecked you're lost you know if there's a big gale and you get thrown overboard fuck you could be yeah. two miles away and you have no idea where the ship is everything's white or blue it depending on you know the weather <clears throat> so with the underwater or actually in the water stuff how do you make that or how did you try to make it interesting and seem at least survivable versus y- y'all fucked because you're in the middle of the ocean you know yeah. waiting for a shark to eat you yeah um, I'm gonna try to answer that in a way that doesn't give it away uh because yes absolutely uh so i guess you can you can do sort of like uh storms king storm king's thunder did and that is uh you get there somehow um teleportation and there are pockets of air in this underwater realm you know they're like they're chambers that are air filled um and you can make your way through that and that's how the uh, one of the major sections of uh storm king's thunder is set up and i didn't want to do that um because that's how most of them go. Uh, so this is the in my book, the final third of the book is truly in the water, underwater. And how does a the your standard dwarf, elf, um, a tiefling, or whatever uh, do that? Um, 
it's not by submarine or anything like that. There's no, you're not putting on uh, scuba gear. Um, no, no apparatus of Qualsh. No, no apparatus, uh, no mechanical things. It's not driven by magic items. I'm just going to say that um, the player characters have the opportunity to go through a very bizarre and creepy transformation that Ooh. will allow them to uh, be at home in the depths. Okay. Uh, and... Um, it's, I had a tremendous amount of fun uh, writing that and all the side effects and the weird things that were going to happen to everyone. And um, yeah, so that, that, that's without really giving you a good answer. I, uh, no, that's cool. No, I like, yeah. I like, I like that's a good answer. So the other piece that gets me with underwater, I shouldn't say gets me, but one of the pieces, Sean and I have talked about like sci fi and stuff. And one of the things I think is hilarious in certain, you know, space movies, you see these spaceships fighting with like earthbound dogfighting tactics like yeah. it's a three-dimensional fully you know anywhere you want water is very much the same right you can be attacked from above below mm. all angles all sides mm. so some people like to play D D very tactically not just theater of the mind i know you're a theater of the mind kind of guy but was was that anything that you took into account as you put this together because i'm thinking like my crew sometimes get this this hankering for really tactically want to pull the minis out sure Sure. And dealing with levels, basically, because if you're floating in the middle of 100 foot deep, you could have, you know, sharks come from below, sharks come from on top, you know, mm -hmm. Sahagan coming from the sides. Mm -hmm. um, how, how did you, did you think about that approach? Did that come into your brain? Like, hey, how the hell do I deal with this three-dimensional up, down, all sides tactics? Absolutely. I'm trying to write this for every style of player and DM, which is, you know, you try to do your best with that, but that is to have a, um, a, a central story, but yet sandboxy. Have it be uh, narrative, which is my natural style, yet be tactical. And so, yeah, no, I try to do all those things. And uh, yes, I, there are specific sections that are very well suited to uh, tactical play. Um, and I've created environments where that is possible. So there is a, a place where the passageways are up down instead of you know left right because that's you're underwater and saltwater and so the, those normal gravitational limitations are not there uh, so it's a you know an up down kind of thing as you as you as you proceed um, and uh, yeah certainly with the uh, with where enemies are coming from uh, so you know I, I tend to get really granular stuff so what are the limits of vision? What are the limits of hearing? How do you deal with the cold at the depths? How do you deal with pressure at the depths? So I have tried to um, address all that stuff because you know that there's going to be someone out there said, yeah, that can't couldn't happen. You'd be crushed like a can if you're down at the depths, you know, and so on. Um, I get that, and I, I've tried to address all as much of the real world stuff as as you know as it's realistic to, as as we could expect in a, in, a, in a in a fantastic adventure i mean gosh there always is well because magic yeah you could cast you could cast lightning <laughs> bolt but at this level yeah. the water pressure would offer oh, yeah it. i know i know so i'm so but i really i really don't want to rely on because magic uh too much there's a you know it's that gets too um yeah, I've I've gone, you know, I've talked about my feelings on mega dungeons that way, you know, and I, I they're certainly fun, but geez, you know, you gotta it's gotta be, have a pretty good reason for why something like that exists, in my opinion. Leaving not to open that whole subject up, but that's the way I, I approach. That's the approach I take when I write stuff, is that there is things at least as well as I can make sense, and there's a there's a there's a reason for the way things work, um, not just magic, or um, yeah, because I, I just. That that that's a little thin for me. No, that makes sense. I, I think the what you were describing about you know it, you know the passages up and down, side to side, and all that stuff. I think the from a tactical perspective, even if you don't get super noodly with minis and pushing lead across the table type of thing, the even the narrative tactical approach is going to. I think it's going to be a challenge. At least it would be for me and my players because I do not recall. I don't remember the last time I ran anything underwater. Or last time my players were involved in an extended underwater thing, one of the guys <clears throat> was running a game and they they had like a minor underwater battle with a giant crocodile. But you know it was like you know an average fight is what five six rounds or something that was done. But an extended stay in a in that type of a topsy turvy anything every directions of are uh, are potentially dangerous in, environment. I I could see that being 
very challenging. And if your if your game master is better prepared for it, I could see characters getting just chewed on savagely. Well, I mean, I really the the I didn't I didn't try to write a niche book here, meaning that hey, it's this is for people who really get off on underwater adventures. I, I've hopefully given every DM the tools to read this, go through it, and with through sidebars of expl- explaining different mechanics that with just one read through every person who wants to run a game is going to feel confident that they can do so effectively uh, and, and present a thrilling adventure. Um, And that's the, what we're doing is working on final layout is what, you know, what mechanic um, in what order do I deliver this to the reader? Uh, That's the final tweak we're working on right now. Um, So that's the goal. Uh, So this is not, Hey, you know, if you, if you love water, you're going to love this. I'm really trying to write a book that if you love D and D, you're going to love this book. And I know everyone tries to do that, but that's what Mm -hmm. I'm really trying to do. Cause I honestly, you know, I believe that if I were to pitch this to my group, they'd be like, Oh, really? Really? Well, you want to be in the water? The, the, so part I, I, the part I would say, especially to your group, is there is a some. Let me tell you this. This is an aside. So my wife uh, is is a tremendous proofreader, and it's because she's a painfully slow reader. She <clears throat> reads every character of every word that she reads. I couldn't. I'd lose my mind. My wife. My wife does the exact same thing. Isn't and that, I, oh, I, it's so I, funny. Yeah, I'm like, okay, you don't need to read those five words to skip. Skip to the end. Why are you wait? What are you doing? But she's anyway. she's a great proofreader. In fact, she gets off on finding uh, mistakes in published books. She's you know she's got a highlighter on finding. Look at this. They you know, uh, so she does a great job. And we were out for her birthday you know a few weeks ago, um, and her mom was along. And I was telling her, hey, Cal, I got to get this book into the publisher. Can you please wrap it up? I know you you know it takes you a while, but I need to get this in. And so my mother-in-law says, oh, I'm a good proofreader. Can I read your book? And I'm thinking. Oh my God, there is some weird shit in this book. <laughs> some really <laughs> weird, creepy stuff. This is beyond normal. And, and that teenage gamer has to come up, fuck, mom wants to read my stuff. Uh, yeah. I don't, how do I explain this to you? Yeah, yeah. It's that's exactly it. So that's what my. So anyway, I'll, I'll finish the story and I'll come back to your group. Um, sh- I said, okay. Just so you understand, this is not a novel. Uh, this is a D and D adventure. So this is something that you know you would present this and play this to players. She knows what D and D is. She's just, you know she's she follows enough of what I what I do. Um, so she read it. She took it, and two days later, she came back to me and said, "I, I love your writing style. I love the book. I, I really want to play this game." I thought you got to be kidding me. <laughs> that's crazy, um, which was great. But uh, but anyway, so that's why I pitched it to your group. If you're you're, you're for the squeamish about you know oh boy water's not really my thing, I think your guys all like weirdness. And there's there's some real twists here that are like holy. I mean, how, you know, there's some really creepy stuff that I've built into this uh, because I think the under, you know, even when I just snorkel and I look at sea life, I'm just it's such a different world. It's just like you've stepped into another dimension, into another realm entirely. And I'm trying to capture some of the creepiness. You know, we're all us land, our sun worshippers, land, air breathers, land dwellers. When we are in that environment, we feel very vulnerable, and rightly so. I think this, that's because everything in there will eat you if it's yeah, given a chance. And that's everything. Like, exactly. And that's the kind of that's the kind of vibe I'm trying to get give the players as they you know, get deeper and you go down to a Sahagan city. Wow. You know, good luck with that. And you're going to see some shit that is going to freak you out um, because they're, they're not like us. And in fact, they're very, very different like us from us. So um, that would be the, the people who, to the people who say, well, I'm not really into to ships and that's really not my thing either. I mean, if I had to pick, you know, what, in, in broad strokes, that wouldn't be my first choice. I mean, I tend to be an urban adventure with some, some out, you know, outdoor, you know, adventuring is probably what I'd, like to do most, but uh, that's why I took this on as a challenge to say, could I satisfy a skeptical asshole like me who would be, who would be a player in this game? Would I enjoy this? And that's, that's what I was trying to accomplish. So I don't know. We'll see. I started, I picked out my, uh, my salt marsh modules, my, my original ones started thumbing through them. I'm like, yeah, this is kind of cool. And when the, the new salt marsh thing comes out, I'm like, huh, maybe. And talking to you now, I, I like this. I, one of the things that's kind of been drawing me back to it was um, thinking Exactly this. If it's unique enough, if it's not just look, I'm being attacked by pirates. Oh, now I've got a you know sharks are circling the bed. Blah blah blah. Dragon turtle. Yeah yeah yeah. If it's got enough <clears throat> new slash different weird, you know, off the off normal right, whatever that is, because 
you know, m- much like yourself, you know, my we've been playing. I've been playing since third grade. You know, you, mm-hmm. you've been doing this long enough. Yeah. You go, oh yeah, it's uh, it's one of these. It's one of those. It's Kuatoa. It's this. It's this. It's this. Oh yeah, and that's a water weird. You just know all this shit. Yeah. And if you're able to take it and tweak it around a little bit, some of what you said makes it seem much more original to me than uh, than some of the, the trope. Because every time I go to the water, I feel so bound by the tropes. I don't know how to break them. So for no other reason, I think reading this might be a good way to kind of get my my brain unlocked from that. Well, and I think you guys are going to really like Saltmarsh too. I just think the guys did a, the guys and gals who worked on that book did a great job. Um, you know, I privy to a little bit. You know, some of the stuff got to see some of it. It's uh, it's pretty amazing. So that's why I'm just so delighted. It's such a good book because people are going to play that and say, "Man, that was great! I want more of that." And so, hey, look at me over here. I got this <laughs> one that is uh, that takes you to a higher level and much more dangerous Sahagan. You know, I've I've built a, a bunch of uh, a bunch of new monsters to uh, to make this all work. So, yeah. So you when, mentioned the levels, um, Alex. What what is it geared towards? Uh, start at level one through ten. One through ten is the whole book. One through ten. Do you have a page count yet? I don't. I don't. It's not that far along, and uh, because yeah, it hasn't uh, art has not met words yet. Gotcha. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I don't know what that's going to be. Uh, word count is going to be in that seventy-five k range, something like that, eighty k, something like that. I don't know. We're, we're still tweaking all that, but uh, yeah, it's just going to be a full length hardbound. So I guess. Like you said, this isn't necessarily your groove to begin with. You took it on as a challenge. Was there a particular piece of crafting something for this type of adventure that you found, like, I'm just banging my head in this fucking wall. How do I get out of this jam? How do I get this thing to be interesting? Was there a, was there a sticking point where you're like, fuck all this? <laughs> Did that hit you? No, well, you know, the problem was that for me is I, I created – uh, it's a mystery, so I'm leaving clues and making the clues significant enough uh, that they move the move the plot without being game breaking if they miss them. And so having kind of alternate routes to get to the spot that they need to go to the next plot point um, took me some time. It didn't get. It wasn't quite like fuck this, I'm done. But it was man, I need to rethink this because now what happens if they go there? Uh, and they, you know, so it was, it, it's, and, you know, gosh, playtesting is just such a wonderful thing. I can't, I can't stress it enough if you're a designer and everyone, we all know this, but it's, it's tough when you're like you and me, Brad, you know, we're just, we're just doing this ourselves. And mm-hmm. uh, I've had a little more help with that than because of the publisher that's helping me. Um, but man, getting it out there and really kicking it around because it's amazing what players will do. I think, oh, wow, that's great information. I, you know, this is, it, it really helps then to, uh, to, to fine tune. I had some really good games in, in, in GaryCon. Uh, if any of those folks are out there listening, there is an NPC. I don't really like that term. Well, like a, a player in my, in my, in my, in my story that is now not in the book. Thanks to you guys. Um, so I had <laughs> Did, to, they, they broke it. Yes. I said, no, you can't take that guy and do that with them. That's not a thing you can do. So I just decided it's easier to remove the temptation and take them out of the book entirely and just write it <laughs> a different way. So, um, yeah, that's the thing, especially with the mystery, because you don't want to make it so, Oh, we can't find the next thing. It's, this is dumb. Or, or or it's too easy. Um, this has to be. It's just you know. It's just it's it's a challenging ch- challenging thing to write. But I, I, it's ultimately very enjoyable. But it's, it took a long time. That's why it it's taken me whatever. Here we are, fourteen months later, that I'm delivering a finished product. I think that what you said there is kind of interesting. And I I did similar stuff with my with my Avalon pieces where you went. I was just finishing up my Blacksmith's Folly little stretch goal adventure and putting together and. There's certain things that the last time I play test, it was actually at GaryCon <clears throat> with um, some gamers I knew out of uh, a couple of different states showed up. Anyway, point is, is there certain pieces like, I need to remove this, right? So in a, in, if you don't want pirates in your game, you don't want it, your characters, your players tempted to become pirates, don't fucking put pirates in there. Don't even plant the seed. And I think especially with <clears throat> when you're trying to build a mystery and an investigation in that way, you need to be very cautious with that because you want to keep it moving in a, you know, you don't want, um, it's not a dungeon crawl. You could say, you know what? Um, we're done. We've got enough gold. We retire, make new characters, go on to the next bit. <laughs> sure. You, you want to keep it rolling. And I think, I think that's an important piece 
um, where at a certain point, again, you're going to get it from playtesting and say, you know what, this is this isn't work. Just yank it out, and that will help will help the whole darn thing flow faster. I like that. That's sure, good, sure. Good you know, advice. you have to the the you know we we've talked about the, every time we the, with the three of us get together, we talk about game design and game concepts. There's this uh, you know railroad versus sandbox versus mm-hmm. funnel. Um, you know how how do you handle all that? And uh, you know, I think the hardest part of of when you're writing a big adventure, a long one anyway, is that first the first uh, first few levels or first you know a third of the book or whatever because it's you're casting a pretty broad net and you're trying to you know get get things then moving you know you know I I've, I've, I view it as more as a funnel um, as to where the where you want this the story to be at the one third mark um, to then go to the next section um, is uh, that's challenging man uh, that's challenging this has got to be the big, the longest biggest scope adventure you've written am I correct true true this is yep. This is this means a tremendous amount to me. I, as a as a uh, young kid um, who first was in Value Village in Portage, Wisconsin, and saw the four D and D hardbounds that fundamentally changed my life forever. To the thought of of my having a hardbound book, a D and D hardbound adventure in stores with my name on it, is humbling, and it's so it's a big deal to me, and I, and it means a lot to me. So I've uh, that's why I'm uh, so passionate about it and work so hard on it because I just really want this to be um, great. I don't want people to read it and say, "Well, that's dumb." <laughs> that would be that would be that, that would be that would be hurtful. Uh, and I really I, I, <laughs> I really hope that's not the case. So, so if I, you'd like to make Alex cry when you yeah, see him, exactly, that's, that's what your you do. book sucks, dude. Oh, oh man, you'll just you will crush him. <laughs> yep, I will. I'm sensitive. Sean, do you have any more questions? <laughs> no, but I do. Well, actually, I do have uh, one. Uh, Get him. So I don't know if Alex can divulge this, and if we if you can't, we'll we'll edit it out. But uh, Beetle and Grim, have you talked to him? Um, and moving on. <laughs> uh, no, yes, I that's that's I made an allusion to a company that would that is very similar, if not exactly that, um, earlier in the uh, in the in the in the discussion. So yes, um, that is. Um, quite i can you know what leave it in because i'm quite confident that's going to happen cool that, yeah that we're going to have some we're going to have some crossover uh participation um from them and we've gotten to pretty pretty detailed stuff i gosh it's just another couple of days that i could tell you exactly what but i don't want to say that if it's if i'm not sure it's going to happen yeah. uh the, the I, they're going to they're going to participate it's the what exactly they're going to do um is we're down to we're, we I, i'm 95 percent sure i know what they're going to do and so are they but it's really a matter of they have some math to do on their end we have some math to do on our end and to make it all work and i, I think it's all going to work out but um unfortunately i still need a few more days before i can say exactly what that is very cool yeah. Alex, is there anything more about just waterborne adventures, underwater stuff that you want to kind of any words of wisdom you want to leave with this before we move on? Uh, yeah, just like anything else, it's uh, preparation. You know, think really put yourself when you're if you're going to run a game like that, put yourself in that environment and think about it, what that means. You know, if you're not think about what it really means to try to s- swing a slashing sword through the water. You know, is that going to work? Um, you know, uh, and uh, and what, really what that means, how that changes your kit. You know, for instance, being the dwarf with plate mail on the deck of a ship. Does that sound like a good idea? You know, uh, uh, so uh, all those all those all those real real things, um, you know, the more the more thought you can put into what are the actual hazards here. Um, you know, because we're so used to dungeon crawls where screw it, I don't care. I'm gonna I'm gonna, you know, rock in there with my kid and I'll make it work. Well, that environment doesn't you can't you can't be that disrespectful to the to the to, to, to a water environment. Uh, or it's not gonna work out for you. Um, so that that's it uh, as far as that goes. Cool. Sean, if you don't have anything else, I think we can move on to die roll and then get Alex out of here. Right. Die roll. So I only have one this week. What do you mean? I've got uh I was reminded by Eric Lamaru that they've they're kickstarting wise guys. Oh, very cool. The Savage, Savage World stuff. Worlds. Yeah. So if you are a I think some of the stuff that I've run at cons, specifically a game hole con, um about the uh forget about a game. Some of this is derived from that. So if you like 1960s or 70s Vegas mobster kind of RPGs, then this is one to check out. And uh, Carl Kiesler is involved in that. So some of the artwork and stuff is pretty top-notch. If When you hear this, it's going to end Friday, April 19th. 
So it's not too far along. And then I'm sure you'll be able to get it in other resources like drive through and yeah, they're funded too. Just so folks know, they were looking at it for five grand. They've made ten thousand five hundred eighty-six dollars as of right now. So good job, good job, Eric. Well, well done. So, Alex, your Kickstarter is end of April. Did you say April thirtieth? What's the day? I think it's April thirtieth. Yeah, I believe okay. that's the that's the time. So when it hits, obviously we're going to need links and all that good stuff from you, man. So let us know so we can pimp the hell out of it because I got to back this damn thing. So <laughs> I, I want to know where it is so I can find it. Sure, sure, sure. Um, shout out to a couple of my friends who have their own uh, uh, Kickstarter going right now. It's called Creeping Cold. Um, uh, Ian and Jason are doing this. They're uh, the uh, Silver Bullet, I believe they call themselves. They're, uh, they have uh, a, uh, a 5e adventure that's already funded, and it sounds pretty cool. Um and uh, so if you can, if you, go, if you just Google Creeping Cold on Kickstarter, you'll see it. I backed it. It sounds like a really great, uh, again, uh, talking about challenging environments uh, and uh, one that I don't believe has really been addressed too much in 5e. Um, and uh, so, you know, check it out if you, if you have, a, have a looking for another 5e adventure. Very cool. Found that one on Kickstarter real easily. Just type in Creeping Cold. I'll have a link in the show notes there as well. Well, cool, man. Yeah. Um, are we good, Sean? I think we're good. We are good. All right. Let's wrap the sucker up. Let Alex go. All right. Well, what are we? Are we talking about anything next week? Probably. I don't know what it is yet. Well, I'm. T- I have Victor on the roster. Do you Empire yeah. Petal Throne? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Nice. I, I, yeah. So Alex knows Victor. Um, I think it's either Tuesday or Wednesday, if I'm not mistaken. So we'll talk about a little Tecumel and oh, Empire cool. of the Petal Throne. You know, an interesting thing to talk about with Victor, not that I want to you know, try to engineer your show. but this, No, this, do it, man. This, if, you, if, if you've got inside info, <laughs> yeah. we'll hit him with it. No, we no, need well, all the help we yeah. need, Alex. <laughs> well, I, noticed, I, was, I was a little taken aback when you said the show number, 200-some. Holy cow. That's you guys. So I can I get it. I'm sure, the t- I'm sure it's tough to come up with topics. That's a lot of shows. That's Congratulations. That's well, it's tremendous. easy if you really don't talk about anything. <laughs> like you, you, could, you could easily do this, Alex. Just put, like, number 200 up there and yeah. just, like, hi, I'm Alex every, like, you know, couple weeks <laughs> funny that's blah blah game hole blah blah game hole the, there we go a, a good thing i think of that just as a as a part of the conversation with victor is talk about the osr um i don't know if you call it a movement or a phenomena or you know what because the what is and what is what is not osr gaming the sort of the the problems at least the either the toxicity or the perceived toxicity that's in that group i consider myself an osr gamer to some extent i guess i'm an old i certainly consider myself an old school gamer being as you know, such an old bastard as i am um and have played so much you know 1e and O D and so on but uh, i know victor has uh strong feelings about that subject because uh he was sort of one of the first guys out there who was you know a decade ago or more uh really working to to preserve and promote um you know original and older games um and so sort of where the where that group of gamers or i don't know movement i don't think i don't think you call it a movement whatever it is where it is now and the perceptions about it is is an interesting one um and uh, he certainly, I know he's got some thoughts on that subject. Well, that's cool. That's very cool. So, good, yeah, good, to, good, good advice, man. I know it's, I always like talking to Victor. I mean, we got a, a beer like a few weeks ago and just talked for a little while. And then he had to go off to Noble Knight Games and play old school games. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I know he's, yeah, good stuff. Yeah, he's one of my favorite. Well, hey, Alex, thanks for coming on the show, as always. Yeah, thanks, man. Oh, man, I appreciate it. You guys are awesome. And, uh, yeah, thanks thanks so much. I, I will, uh, I can't, I'll, I'll, I'll catch you with the beer sometime soon. Absolutely. All right. All right, well, hey, this one's uh, all wrapped up. Thanks for listening and contributing and uh, partaking. And I think that's it. Uh, I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode of Gaming in BS brought to you with the help from the following BSers. Graham Miner, Corey Wynn, Andy Hall, Hat Hawk Sparrow, Larry Hout, Mark Tasaka, Pure Mongrel, Chris Steele, Ron Bishop, Thomas Hook, Wayne Humphrey, Craig, Brandon Barnes, Laramie Wall, Dan LaValley, Jason Hobbs, Sky, Roger Braslett, John Hammersley, Old School DM, Perry Basore, Michael Dinos, Jim Fitzpatrick, Christopher Gray, Bruce Cunnington, John Coward, Corey Gonzalez, Eileen Barnes, Robert Nemeth, Niall Diamond, Angus, Howard Bishop, Stefan Dragonspawn, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Eric Salzweedle, Trevor Davis, The Closet Gamer, Jeff Goad, Aaron Coleman, Ray Otis, C.W. Mellencamp, Chad Glayman, Finolf, Merkel Froelich, Lord Tentacle, 
Joe Swick, Curtis Takahashi, Josh Wallace, Kevin Lovecraft, Andy Olson, and Tony Sugarloaf Baker. For ways to support the show, head over to gamingmbs.com forward slash support dash us. Thanks, BSers! This has been a Litterbox Studio production. production.